Hello, and uh, welcome to Rare Together. This is a regular podcast from LDA Research, which looks at what it's like to live with rare diseases. I'm your host, Andrew Grant, and today we have two guests joining us who have very kindly agreed to share their experiences. Now, our guests today suffer from different conditions, but these conversations are really all about seeing how, despite those differences, the experience can often be very similar. So let me introduce you to our two guests. They're joining us actually from opposite ends of the earth. Uh, firstly, we have uh, Jeannie, who hails from Elliott Lake in Canada. Hi, Jeannie. Good morning. And we have uh, David, who's joining us from the other side of the world in Camden in Australia. Not the Camden in North London, but Camden in Australia. Hi, David. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Excellent. Well, welcome, both of you. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, we really appreciate that. I'm sure it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Um, so firstly, what would be great is to uh, learn a little bit more about each one of you. Um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I'll start with you, Jeannie. Uh, can you just give us a brief introduction, um, you know, your home situation, etc., and uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, condition that, uh, that you suffer from, please. Uh, well, I'm a 47-year-old female that lives in Elliott Lake, Ontario. Um, back in 2017, I got the official diagnosis of hobnail variant uh, papillary thyroid cancer. Uh, it is one of the rarest thyroid cancers um, around, uh, and it is actually a new classification of thyroid cancer as well uh, within the last five years. Uh, right now, I am asymptomatic. However, um, it is always in the back of your mind that it can reoccur. Right. Understood. Understood. Um, and on a day-to-day -day basis, how does that affect your life? Uh, well, I no longer have a thyroid gland. Uh, I have to take medications. Uh, I also find myself uh, lacking in calcium. Um, a few things have changed in my, my body system, things that have never occurred before. Um, the not to be you know uh silly with just the small details but dry skin i've never had to use uh, body lotion before now all of a sudden i have to every day um pills sustain my life now um and i was never a pill taker i couldn't even get through a round of antibiotics uh i was such a bad pill taker and now i depend on them for life right understood yeah, so it's a dramatic, dramatic difference. We'll come back to those some of those some of those things in a minute. Actually, uh, David, perhaps you could do the same. Give us a, a brief introduction and uh, tell us a little bit about your condition, please. Um, well, I, I was born in Scotland, <laughs> but I chose to live in Sydney, in Australia. Uh -huh. I have stiff person syndrome. In um, affects my life in Kingsley. The past six months, I've been in hell, and I think even saying hell is not sufficient. The biggest problem I've had is I've had a terrible amount of problems with um, seizures and with speech and with paralysis. Oh, wow. Okay. The medication. I'm on is continually changed because, well, there's no answer to it. it you just have to go on this merry-go-round and see if you make something that can work. 
I have spent the last 10 days, seven days almost in bed because I've been just so out of it. Right. So did you, did you say just then, uh, sorry, when, when were you diagnosed? Right. Now, I've had this condition, they reckon, since pre-2010. All right. But I was officially diagnosed with this condition because I have another condition as well, which is rare, um, in September 2019. Right. Okay. So what you've been suffering from symptoms since 2010, but you didn't know what it was. Is that, is that right? I was, that's correct. Yes. I had no idea what was going on. And I had the most appalling experience with some medical professionals during that time. So it was a, a journey that I wish no one ever has to go on again. Oh, right. Uh, that's that's interesting. I know Jeannie has uh, some similar experiences, but um, so so you, you said appalling experiences. What what do you mean by appalling experiences? Well, I, I was recommended to this neurologist, and I went and did all the tests, etc. And um, rather than say I don't know, he basically said no, it's in your head. Um, and so for okay. seven years, seven years. I allowed myself to go downhill, 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 downhill. And then my consultant, lung specialist, said to me, David, this is just plain stupid. You have to go and find a neurologist. So I went on Google and I found a neurologist at Sydney, Sydney University. Um, she wasn't available at that time because she was overseas. She was in England at that time. Yeah. But she, but she, um, we, we got together in December 2010. And that's the first time I ever heard the word mentioned, stiff best the syndrome. Right. And she more or less, and she more or less said, go and find out about it. No, didn't give me anything about it. Just, you go and find out about it. So I did. Right. Okay. So, so who in the end diagnosed you? In the end, what happened was, it's a long story. I hope you don't mind. Um, in 2012, I was in hospital for eight weeks because I had lost the use of, the use of my legs. Um, I was having incredible um, muscle spasms where my um, legs would invert and the pain was just, well, indescribable. So she was overseas, but she managed to contact my professor, who I use now, a Professor Bristol, who has a hospital in Sydney. Mm -hmm. And he, he, I, I went with him for three weeks. But during that time, I lost the ability to to speak, I lost the ability to walk. So when I went to rehab, I had to learn to, to, learn to walk again and learn to speak again. Wow. But even then, that wasn't enough. So in 2014, I said, David, come back again. I want to spend some time with you. So 
She said, well, she will five days. And I said, oh, five days. No, fine, five days. That's not a problem. 17 days later. Right. Um, and he, they still couldn't come up with a, a specific diagnosis. And then in 2019, he asked me to do a couple of simple things in his rooms. I want you to stand up and walk across the room. And I said, in your dreams? But I tried anyway, you know. And yeah. then he, he saw how tight my legs were. They were like lumps of concrete. And I had great difficulty initiating movement. So he said, okay, you have stiff person syndrome and you have bradykinesia, which is a condition often associated with Parkinson's. Which right. is quite interesting. Which is quite interesting because with my initial neurologist, she said when we met that I had this stiff person plus three other neurological conditions, and she'd been, she'd been proven right because I've got stiff person, I've got Isaac syndrome, I have brachinesia, and I have epilepsy. Right. You got, uh, you got the full prize then. Understood. Yes, I've got the uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I, I was a lucky guy. I was a lucky guy. Yep, that's right. Right, right. So it's been a long journey. And I know, Jeannie, you, you mentioned before we started, um, you mentioned that you've had a long journey as well. Would you like to tell us about your experiences? Um, actually, I can relate totally to David. Um, I was told that it was in my head. I was actually called a hypochondriac in my uh, medical uh, files. Uh, I was wow. told that I had a fat neck. I was, uh, that the tumor was actually just fat folds. I was told that, uh, I had GERD and to go home and relax. Um, and if it wasn't for my, um, stubbornness and knowing that something was going on further than that, I, I probably would have been in a coffin for quite a few years now. Um, I couldn't even convince the people closest to me that something serious was going on because everything was coming back as, um, middle ground, not indicative of anything. Uh, the only thing I kept doing to reassure myself is I could actually put my hand on the nodule and move it. So I personally knew it was there, but okay. I couldn't convince anyone else that it was happening. Um, on top of that, while I was going through that, it was setting off another rare condition, which is a uh, basilar migraine. So I was getting a uh, full uh, almost hemiplegic migraines, which puts you into like a stroke situation. I would go to a store and then have to sit down and my my vision would disappear and I would slur speech and couldn't move. Uh, as well as it put me at the same time that I was going through all that, it put me into early menopause. So I was getting the hot flashes and all that. So my symptomology was so vast that um, because of these other two conditions that were getting flared by the uh, the hormone changes, that trying to convince something that something was horribly wrong, <laughs> I, you know, it was banging your head off the wall. Um, the <laughs> only reason I'm alive today is because um, on my seventh ultrasound, I think it was, they said it it qualifies for surgery just for size. So if it's uncomfortable, you can go for surgery. Of course, I opted in for that right away. <laughs> so once the surgery was done, they sent it away for biopsy, and then it came back as this rare disease. And when I went for follow-up, he says, you're very lucky because you would have been gone in about six months. 
Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You said something in the middle or at the beginning, you, you said even the people close to you, um, you know, we, we didn't think there was anything wrong. So tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, trying to convince something, someone even close to you, my husband at the time, um, my symptoms had gone on for about eight months. I had just started a job um, and I was having great difficulty with it. I was losing my voice. I actually had blood coming out of my mouth at one point, but trying to tell them that with all these medical tests coming back as no, 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 not indicative of uh, what have you, I couldn't convince, uh, you know, parents, spouse, anyone, uh, friends, I couldn't convince anyone that anything was going on other than maybe I was losing my mind. Um, that was the only thing that it was, it was coming to. And, you know, my family history does have mental health issues. So I started questioning myself for a while. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was only because I could literally, the only thing that saved me is I could literally feel the, the nodule and it was, it was large enough that I could actually feel it down to my collarbone. So that was the only thing that saved my life is I kept reassuring myself going, no, I can physically feel this. I'm not going insane. <laughs> so I kept pushing. So given that you could feel it yourself, uh, why, why could a, why could a healthcare professional not feel it as well? Well, unfortunately, the placement was behind other structures in my neck. So it was playing peekaboo. Uh, when they did the biopsies, uh, they were hitting areas that were not uh, cancerous. And thank goodness, because I found out that if they would have biopsied and found this hobnail, it would have exploded because it was encapsulated at the time. Oh, wow. So oh, wow. if they would have hit it, it would have breached the uh, encapsulation and I probably would have been gone anyway. So it was a blessing i guess to say that they didn't hit it um but yeah it it was just an insane course of medical and it was one after the other i was always going for a test there was uh you know my blood work never showed any not once and of course their gold standard was blood work Mm. and mine never showed so uh yeah it it was just pure stubbornness no we're good for you for uh for persevering absolutely but i can understand why I saw you nodding a few times during that, uh, David. So, uh, were, was there anything in that that particularly resonated with you? I was being um, believed. Okay. Trying to explain to people, family, how bad this is, and they couldn't accept it. And it went on for years, just you couldn't accept it. Um, I can remember one, one example, I was in hospital and I've been, I was in a commode chair and my son came in with his family and he just walked straight out the door. He couldn't handle the fact that his father was on a commode chair. Um, okay. And then a number of my family... My by that I mean my grandchildren have seen me having seizures, and the girlfriends have have had me having seizures. And then at Christmas time, my son and my daughter-in-law finally saw me having a seizure, and what that meant. Um, and, and that has 
changed things slightly. My son is a um, senior police officer. Okay. And, and he's always busy, busy, busy on the phone to you know anybody here, etc. But never the time to spend. And when you try to explain to him what's happening to you, he, he can't take it in. He just, whether, whether or not that's a case of um, denial or stupidity or a combination of both, who knows. But what Jeannie said about this um, psychological thing, my original neurologist sent me to see a psychiatrist. And I went to see him twice. Uh -huh. I told him my life story. Um, and then I then lost my ability to, to speak. Right. I was using I was using a text, you know, yep. a text to speak thing. Yep. Which is not easy, it's very, very difficult to do. Um and I was trying to get hold of a copy of my records who had refused to give me. And I'm saying, but, but I paid for these records. So I basically had to take them to our um, Human Rights Commission to get the records. And when I got uh, when I got the records, I basically could have written them myself. I don't know why I spent $700 going to see him because I knew all these things. I didn't know, I didn't know him to tell me these things. I renew these things. And I have found time after time after time that people in the mental health sphere in general, so sorry if you're in that sphere, are bloody useless. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, fine. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> If you or someone you know is affected by a rare disease diagnosis, I'd like to take a moment to point you in the direction of the Rare Disease Network. It's a private support group on Facebook where we bring together people with all sorts of rare diseases from all over the world. You'll find exclusive research and insight, you'll get the chance to ask your questions to leading medical professionals, and you'll hear some engaging and inspirational stories from our growing community. There's a link to the group in the episode note below. We'd love to see you there. Right, yeah, so, it's, so yeah, it's been it's been it's been a frustrating time by the sound of it. Uh, well, for, for, very very much so. Yeah, right. Um, before we move on to another subject, I just want to come back to you, Jeannie. Look, given that frustration, particularly with people who are close to you, how how did that make you feel that um, even the the most important people were not believing you? <clears throat> well, frustrating would be one word for it, um, but uh, I think it put me into a fight mode. Um, okay. I decided that no, uh, there, I believed in myself basically, and I had to keep reiterating that I believed in myself, and uh, I was going to fight it all the way. And that's the reason that I got the second opinion, the third opinion, and uh, eventually ended up into surgery because I ended up fighting with everybody um it caused some great distress with all my relationships and 
um, you know, when people look back on it, they go, well, maybe we just didn't want to believe anything was wrong. You know, uh, we wanted everything to be okay. So therefore we, we didn't believe that something could be happening. Oh, I see. Okay. That's yeah. an interesting take. Do, do you think, David, do you think that's part of how people were reacting to you that they didn't want to believe us? They didn't, you know, that they didn't want to see you weak? Yes. Well, yes, most definitely. Yes. Right. I can remember my father, as you get older, you begin to worry about them passing on because they've been part part of your life for so long. And I think the same thing happens with your own children. They look at you and say, well, I've had my dad for so long and now there's a chance I'm, I'm going to lose him. And okay. so they, they, they deny the situation. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Just, just when you need their support there, um, they're yes. turning away. Yeah. Must be very, very difficult. Um, okay. I want to come back to this subject of, um, so we talked about family, but um, obviously you've also talked about healthcare professionals not understanding or failing to diagnose or being, being dismissive. Um, you know, what, what, what do you think could be done to, uh, to, to prevent that situation? Uh, uh, you know, from, from your experience, David, you know, thinking about some of the, the doctors who either misdiagnosed or, uh, kind of, kind of said it was in your head or whatever they said. Um, what do you think could be done to try and overcome those situations? Well, I like to look at, I look at things now slightly different. Okay. Once upon a time, doctors were gods right. and thought they were gods and appeared yeah. as gods yeah. and worked as gods and lived as gods. Right. But that has changed dramatically. Okay. People no longer accept them as gods. They accept them as people just like myself. I mean, I'm amazingly fortunate and blessed to have an amazing neurologist uh, professor who is the most empathetic, the most professional, the most compassionate man you could hope to meet. And I can actually see him in his eyes when he can't help me. I can see the concern she can't. This guy with this brain of unbelievable proportions cannot fix me. And right. And he was honest enough to say, look, your condition is progressive. Your condition is incurable. I can't right. do anything. All I can do is make you comfortable. Right. But that was honesty. And I think we need to have honesty. And we need to train our doctors in a far better way so that they realize that the patient has as big an input into any medical situation as the doctor. Right. Okay. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. I understand exactly what you're saying. Uh, what about you, Jeannie? You know, um, you, you've had very similar experiences with uh, healthcare professionals. So, uh, you know, how do you think that situation could be changed to, to, to make life easier for people in the future? I, I think that um, the medical service right now goes by a motto that is detrimental to anyone with a rare disease. And that is the old saying, in a room full of horses, don't look for a zebra. Okay. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> there's more and more of us zebras around, <laughs> you know, um, and to take it off, uh, the, uh, to take it off the scope of many doctors using that old saying 
is a disservice to anyone that does have a rare disease. Right. Um, I personally, I agree. Right now, the medical profession is too narrow-minded and looking for the common cause. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's easy, easier to write someone off as not having um, proof of a, a symptom versus exploring it further. Um, instead of going the full scope and examining someone, they're they're literally going, well, you know, your symptoms don't make sense. So we're going to just put you into the hypochondriac area. Um, why don't you seek professional help? Um, I think it's too dismissive. And to be honest, this whole experience has has turned around, as I was telling you before the, the podcast started. Um, I'm I'm dismayed with the doctor's um, re- responses. So I like the words, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. coming from doctor's mouth. Yeah. Yep. And I've only met one physician uh, that has been willing to say, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I've greatly appreciated that. And they have actually turned into a role model because I've decided at uh, my older age that I'm going back to school. I'm getting my BSc and I'm pursuing becoming a medical doctor that won't be eliminating zebras any longer. <laughs> well, good for you. Good for you. And how, how far down the, down the path are you with that now? I am in, well, I enrolled last year, so I'm in my second year of my BSc. I am doing part-time because my stamina is not there like a a 20-year-old's would be. Um, But I'm hoping to be done my BSc within the year and a half and looking at medical school enrollment. I'm maintaining my marks and uh, at the levels that are required to, uh, to apply. All right, congratulations, well done. And and what is your uh, what is your aim? Uh, you know, once once you do qualify, what what do you hope to do? Uh, I am never uh, well. I'm going to be um, a GP, a family doctor. Uh, okay. I am not going to be rushing people in and out of my door. The goal for me has never been money. Uh, for me, I want to actually listen to my patients. So I'm not going to work well in a uh, group setting. So I'm going to go out on my own. So I can take a half hour appointment and listen to my to the people. I've learned a great deal about having to listen to the patient in order to help. So um, I got to set up my own shop because I'm going to do it my way. All right. Okay. Now well, that's uh, you know more power to you. Well, well done for uh, having that ambition. Um, it's interesting that um, you know it's a, such a, a negative situation has you you've turned it into something much more positive. Um, yeah, we wish you well on that journey. I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of actually living with these conditions. David, I'll come to you. What, um, what, what are you able to do, uh, if anything, to kind of alleviate your condition? Is it just medication or are there other things that you can do to, to, to help with the symptoms? I have tried physiotherapy, uh-huh. um, Genovio, um, Mostly, what looks after my condition is is uh, medication. Yeah, and of course, medication has significant side effects. Right. I mean, that's why that's why I was late tonight because I basically unconscious. I was just I only just woken up from being unconscious, um, and I wouldn't have woken up and I wouldn't have woken up had I not checked my you know had a quick look at my um, emails. I'm saying, David, right. you're supposed to be on, you see, you know, um, it's very <laughs> difficult. Um, but what, you know, one thing, you know, 
affirmed in this journey, as I call it, is it's not a single journey. It's not a one-person journey. If you happen to be like myself, married, really joint journey, because you're having the condition, but the first thing for you sees how bad condition is and right. how bad it affects you. Um, I mean, I've, I've had one, two, three, four, five seizures in less than a week. Oh, wow. They don't, they don't last for any more than maybe a minute, minute and a half. But it's not the seizure itself. It's the, what, what we would call it, an aura. Yeah. So it's like a, a building. And the, the, it can, can it continues to build up and build up and build up and build up and build up. And all of a sudden, pressure is released. And your whole body starts to, um, well, it's a grand mal, basically. Yeah. The only trouble is with a grand mal, you're unconscious. In my situation, I'm unconscious. I am fully conscious, fully oh, wow. aware, and I can do absolutely nothing about it. I am purely a passenger on that journey. And when you see your wife's face, when she sees you in that state, it really is quite it, it is confronting, very confronting. I have been blessed, I would say, that all the people who work with me, all my medical team, um, who I've gathered together over the years, but not as a team, but as individuals, because that's another thing that's wrong too, is there's no medical team, there's no medical whole, whole of care, there's no holistic approach. There's just this one professor and then that's it. Plus your yep. GP and that that's basically your team. But I've I've got a, a superb OT. Um I've now got a speech pathologist. I've I've been working with um a speech pathologist which I believe in the US. Oh, wow. On some things, some ideas, ideas she has, and I have been super impressed. Super impressed by the amount of time and effort she's prepared to put into helping me. You know, it's, it's, it's just blown my mind away, quite, frank, quite frankly. Oh, okay. But this so, is this is. Sorry, I was going to say. So, do you having gone through the frustrations of the misdiagnosis or the non-diagnosis before? Do you now feel that you are fully supported or is there still anything missing for you? No, I'm not fully supported. No, no, I'm not. Okay. Um, I, my professor and I made an agreement that I would email him every single week. Right. And I do so every single week. And I know for a fact that he reads my emails. And I'm now with a program with SEER. S double which yep. is an American um, medical research company, uh, and they're researching and trying to work on epilepsy and trying to forecast it. Um, oh. So each day I will I will write a small report of what happened during that day, and if I have an episode during the day, I will then in detail. 
put down what the episode is. And then at the end of the, the week, I can then copy that whole thing to my professor. So he's got, he, have, he must have years and years of, of information that he's arrived. Right. Okay. Me, you know? okay. You know? Okay. Um, right. But, but having a rare disease, you know, if you've got, even today I was getting, I was getting cranky with, with someone to do with cancer. And more is a cancer survivor, so that you know, that didn't make a lot of sense. But they were saying, "Oh, we need money for this. We need money for that. It's, it's rare. It's this is that next one." I said, "Tell me, who's putting money into the to, to my condition?" Yeah. I said, "No one." Yeah. Who's researching my condition? No one. In fact, until Celine Dion came up with having stiff person syndrome, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even speak to you. They would just ignore you. Right, and I love, and okay. I love, I love, I love what um, my Canadian friend said about the zebra. The zebra, and it is all over my house. The zebra, it's all over all my house. The zebra, because <laughs> we are so unique, we are so different from everybody else. Right, right, right. Understood. Well, it's interesting you say about Celine Dion, another fellow Canadian, of course, to uh, Jeannie. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I'll come back to that question that, that I asked David before. So uh, for you, Jeannie, um, you know, what can you do to alleviate your symptoms apart from medication? Um, well, I actually find myself more unreliable right now. Uh, I lose my voice spontaneously. Actually, I'm crackling right now because I can't talk for too long. Um, okay. I also have waves of, of um, tiredness and what have you. Um, and as I was saying, there's always that chance of reoccurrence. Uh, I'm actually just going to sidebar just for a second. I actually just got told that I have a intramuscular lipoma in my neck muscle okay. uh, on my last scan. Now, that would make me one in five in the world. Um, well, so the chances of it being an intramuscular lipoma in my neck muscle are so rare that I actually believe we might be spinning up for another round of cancer. Uh, it's more likely that the cancer is oh. back than, than this lipoma. So I'm actually um, gearing back up for more medical exams. Uh, I'm back into the every three months ultrasound uh, to watch for growth factors, what have you. Uh, alleviate symptoms. Uh, there's not much that can be done. They, you know, when they took out my thyroid, it was a five and a half hour surgery for the first half. Um, and it, so they've uh, had to reimplant my parathyroids. My vocal cords were affected. I don't know if there's actually any remedy that will be long term that will help me, um, which is, again, why I'm kind of pursuing the career that I am, because that way I can control my own timelines. Um is there a cure for after the fact? No, I don't think so. I think I'm going to be living with spontaneous um, vocal loss, and I think I'm going to feel the waves of fatigue and just try to fight through them. Um, pills are my life now. Um, they had to take me off of my thyroid pills because um, I was allergic to the first round that they put me on, and I actually went hallucinatory. Um, I was off of thyroid pills without a thyroid for eight weeks right. until we switched meds. Um, so 
now that I'm on a correct med, as long as I take them, uh, most of the symptoms are controlled, but I can't control my uh, own body temperature any longer. Um, the fatigue is all over. Um, the ongoing worries and concerns because I had vascular invasion, so it literally could have gone anywhere in my body. So I, I basically feel like an ongoing lab rat without any reliability. <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we understand that. Yes, that's right. Um, it seems to be a very common experience with the people I've spoken to that, um, yeah, okay, fine, you, you may have a rare disease, but um, there, there, it, it often comes along with other things as well. Um, and, you know, you kind of have that perfect storm. I know that's, that's certainly been your experience, David. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kind of wrap up now, but um, the, the one question I would, I would ask you both, um, I'll ask you first, David. What would be the uh, the one thing that you would like people to know about your condition? Hmm. <laughs> uh, what, what I'd like them to know is that the condition is a very, very serious condition. Okay. That is, if you like, you could equate it to in some respects, what a neuron, Parkinson's, MS. In fact, I quite often people say to me, you've got a stiff person syndrome. Well, how do you quit it? I said, well, you try MS and steroids. Look at me and say, MS and steroids? I said, just MS and steroids. So if I just don't just have one thing, I've got four or five different things going on at one time. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's very difficult to try and explain to people. Um, and quite often, the, the name stiff person seems to make people laugh. And okay. it's not laughable. It is not in the right. least but laughable. But that's what they seem to think because, oh, stiff person syndrome, no big deal. You know, you know what, what a funny name. So I laugh. And then right. I'm my wife, then I'm going to hold my wife back. Stream <laughs> so so would it be better than if 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 it had a more medical name perhaps? Would 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 that make it sound more serious? I I think stiff thrush it used to have wolf it used to have a different name, but I okay. don't think stiff person really is the correct name or the correct term for the name. Um right. I mean, I suppose it's like here in Australia, we call it motor neuron disease. In America, you call it the, the getting, it's, um, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Syndrome. Um, but you know, it's, it's just one of these things, whether the name would make things differently. I'm not sure, but I do think that the name does not in any way, um, explain to people. No. Just how bad a condition it is. Uh, it's an interesting point. Yeah, so you're saying maybe they should name it after you, David. Uh, perhaps that's what they. For a while now, when they couldn't diagnose me, that's why I called the David Nicholson. <laughs> there you go. Right. Okay. This is my my syndrome. Yeah, I am. I am that pink zebra, that unique zebra. Yeah, understood. Yes, I'm. That's correct. <laughs> Jeannie, what about you? What, what what would be the one thing that you would want people to know about your condition? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's also um, used by the medical profession, but they say thyroid is a good cancer. Uh, to me, there is no such thing as the good cancer. 
Um, obviously, when I, I'm actually, when I introduce myself and say, well, I've had thyroid cancer, and they're like, oh, that's not too bad, you know? And I'm like, well, it almost took my life. Uh, yeah. And they just kind of backtrack and look at me. Um, so the the perception of thyroid cancer being in like a cold or, a, you know, a, um, a flu needs to go out the window. There is no such thing as good cancer because even if you had uh, regular PTC, uh, which is papillary thyroid cancer, or my husband actually had follicular cancer right after I had the hobnail, uh, there is no good cancer because it gives you predisposition for other cancers and you become dependent on meds and you feel all the thyroid symptoms as well. So right. there is no such thing. That's the one thing I want people to know. There's no such thing as a good cancer. Don't dismiss thyroid as, you know, oh, it, it's nothing to, to deal with. And the biggest thing I want to tell people is if you feel something's wrong, it's wrong. Keep pursuing it. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah, keep going as uh, exactly as you have. Uh, brilliant. Okay, well, that's uh, that pretty much uh, wraps it up. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to both of you. Um, I've learned a bit about zebras and uh, fifth person syndrome, which uh, you know I didn't I didn't know before, which is which is great, and I'm sure uh, some of our listeners have as well. Really appreciate you sharing so openly. Thank you. Um, so to our listeners, if uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know what you think. Is your experience similar to Jeannie's and David's or is it different for you? Um, just let us know in the comments and uh, don't forget to subscribe to these podcasts and then you make sure that you won't miss out on the next episode. And also, if you know anybody else who you think might like to join in the conversation, then send them the link as well. Uh, and also, we have a Facebook group which is called the Rare Disease Network. Um, you can join that and uh, again, join the conversation online. So thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time on Rare Together. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank you, David. It's been great talking to you.